You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. This morning, we're going to wrap up this series uh, on the church. Uh, I hope that has been an encouragement to you uh, as it has been for us. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story real quick that many of you you may have heard this story before, but bear with me. Um, In the 70s, there were these two guys named Steve who started building computers in a garage. Fast forward and several billion dollars later, here we are with all of our iPhones. Steve Wozniak, Steve Jobs started this company called Apple Macintosh. And um, somewhere in the early 80s, um, the success that was beginning to, to take place kind of stalled. Well, at the same time, um, there was a man named John Scully, who was the CEO at Pepsi. And uh, if you're my age or older, you probably remember the Pepsi Challenge. They used to blindfold people and bring them to a table, and they'd have Pepsi and Coke, and you didn't know which one was which, and you'd taste. And somehow, miraculously, most of the people chose Pepsi. And, you know, we all know that the whole thing was loaded anyways because Dr. Pepper was not represented. So, who cares? But regardless of whether or not you like Pepsi... Um, this marketing campaign was insanely successful. And Steve Jobs watched all this take place, and he decided, I want that marketing genius coming to work for us. And so he went out and he hired John Scully. And Steve Jobs and John Scully began working together, and not only that, they became friends, which made it a whole lot harder to swallow that just a couple of years later, in the mid-'80s, Um, John Scully was leading the board that made the decision to fire Steve Jobs. Something's got to be wrong to be fired from your own company. And we get the luxury of sitting on this side of history and going, what a bunch of idiots, you know, that's crazy. Um, But just to make sure we all understand, Steve Jobs... Um, had made some decisions and was attempting to make some decisions that a lot of people thought were pretty risky, and some people even thought were dangerous and crazy. And so it wasn't a flippant decision that was made here. Nevertheless, they fire Steve Jobs. And the biggest problem with all of this is that John Scully and the rest of the board of Apple failed to really understand what it was that made Apple unique. And they began trying to change things, and really they began trying to change the wrong things. And by about the time that I was um, in college and seminary, Apple was just about on death's door. And then Apple made the smartest decision that they ever made, and that's when they rehired Steve Jobs. And now we see the results of all this. The thing is, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, what made the company so unique and what makes it so successful today 
is those guys had this real passion for staying continually focused on what it was they set out to do and why they set out to do it. To make a computer for the rest of us. That was the whole thing behind it. And, and they had this driving thing in them that knew that what and why were always going to influence how. The, 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 the mission and the motives behind it, those were going to influence the methods and not the opposite. For much of the last 20 to 30 years, um, the evangelical church has attempted to navigate something close to this same pathway, trying to discern what, when, and how to change. But the problem in all of it is that most of the time we failed to keep our eyes on why. Why did we start this in the first place? What is this thing called church that we set out to do? Why are we here together today? That we, we've maybe failed to keep the wrong questions in front of us at times. Obviously, the how is going to change. Your strategy has to change sometimes because culture changes, people change, times change, but the what and the why, they don't change. Let me give you a specific example of, of what I mean by all of this. Over the last 20 to 25 years, um, we've seen a movement within the evangelical church that we refer to as the seeker-friendly movement or the seeker-sensitive movement. And this all began really with two churches that are not only now in, in this day enormous, they are enormously successful at what they've set out to do. Saddleback Church in Southern California and Willow Creek in Chicago. But the origin and the intent of this, it came from a realization that lost people weren't showing up at church services on Sunday more, Sunday anymore. And if they were, they were possibly at minimum uncomfortable, but even more so maybe, hold on to your seat, they might have felt lost. Lost people were showing up, and some of them were feeling uncomfortable, but some of them were even feeling lost. Are you absorbing this with me? Because something for us to think about for just a few moments is, is it wrong or is it bad for a lost person to feel lost? We'll come back to that. Um, again, all of this began by examining strategy. Uh, does how we are doing things need to change? And the place where this probably not only had, but still has the greatest impact within the evangelical church is in music. In the music that you will hear if you show up to a service on a Sunday morning. And I can tell you that this is still the case because you and I could go get in our car and we could drive five to ten minutes in any direction and find a church where the gathering that you choose to go to on a Sunday, you're going to make your choice based first and foremost on the music that's being played. 
The church where I go sometimes when I'm on vacation in South Carolina, if I went there this morning, I'm not exaggerating, and I walked in, there are four different services going on at one time. And the difference in all four of them is the music. I don't know what to do with myself. I like all kinds of music. I mean, am I feeling like a banjo this morning or an electric guitar? Do I want to bang my head or I just want to be quiet? It, it, this is probably the greatest place where this has impacted the church and what it does. But now here's the greater issue. Again, it's, it's, this began by examining strategy, how we're doing things. The problem is that this drifted into altering the content of what we were doing. What and why sometimes being sacrificed on the altar of how. And as a result, in my opinion, a seismic shift has taken place in the evangelical church. The result of this, one of the results of this, I am asked this question, and I'm asked this question somewhat frequently by people who I meet. Maybe they're looking for a new church home, whatever the case may be. I'm asked the question, do you guys actually preach the Bible? To which I want to say, what other alternative is there? Well, I had a conversation with someone just last Sunday, young couple, late 20s, three-year-old son, just moved to town, beginning to look for a church home, and she asked me almost the identical question. And so I just asked her, you know, hey, I really hate hearing people ask me that question, why do you ask this? And she said, to be very honest with you, we've just become incredibly discouraged by how many churches we've been to where someone will get up for 20, 30, 35 minutes and talk, and they have lots and lots and lots of great stories. And then maybe at that point, they'll interject some scripture to reinforce everything they've said, and that's it. And, and this girl, who's quite a bit younger than me, looked me in the face and just basically said, I need to hear the word of God. And so, here's the good news, though. Yes, I believe that this shift has taken place, but another shift is occurring right now. And what's happening is there are a lot of people, and maybe surprise to you and me, many of them young, who are saying, hey, is it possible that we chunked out the baby with the bathwater? Because if so, we need to go get the baby and bring it back in. Maybe we've, we've possibly sacrificed what and why on the altar of how. Let's not do that anymore. And so that's what brings us to the place this morning of the importance of discussing the non-negotiables in the church. Within the church, the, the church universal and the local church, within this church itself, there are some non-negotiables. And here they are. The church has two foundations Two foundations that we consider non-negotiable. We cannot compromise them, negotiate them away, or anything of the sort. Those foundations are the Word of God and the Spirit of God. The truth of the Word of God and the guidance of the Spirit of God. The church also has two qualifications for the people that it calls its members. And those two qualifications are salvation and baptism. 
Salvation and baptism. So, acknowledging these non-negotiables, that brings us to the place this morning where I believe that we have some questions to answer. If you're here this morning and you do not meet the qualifications of membership in the local church, the question that I would ask you over the next moments to prayerfully consider is, are you ready for Jesus Christ to change your life? Because we have been praying for you that the God of the universe, that he has been drawing your heart and readying you to come to the point of saying, I believe that Jesus Christ came, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and offers me salvation from my sin. That's what we've been praying for you. If you're here this morning and you do meet the qualifications, I would ask you, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, are you an active, productive member of the local church? And do you understand the importance and the significance of this? Do you understand the importance and the significance of the role that you play in the body of Christ? If you're a Christian and you're a church member, are you building your life on those non-negotiable foundations? Are you refusing to compromise them for any reason? Is the word of God transforming your heart and mind? Is the spirit of God leading and guiding you in everything that you do? Let's answer these questions this morning as we take a look at the foundations of the church and the qualifications of its members. If you've got a Bible, I want to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to bring one with you when you come. If you don't have one at all, please let us know because we want to get you one. We've got one for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is just after Peter has preached at Pentecost and thousands of people have been saved and baptized. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First of all, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if the Spirit of God has come to reside within you, you and I ought to read the verses that we just read and something ought to stir within us. Because we ought to read that and we ought to have this sense of, I need that, I want that, I have to have that as part of my life. Because these are the verses that we typically go to when we want to say, hey, let's take a look at what the New Testament church looked like. This is what church ought to look like. And so we should read this and something within us should say, I have to have that. Or better yet would be that something within us, the Spirit of God affirming, praise God, I have that. But this should stir us. 
But this morning, I want us to focus in on something very, very specific about what we just read, and it's this. The culture and the characteristics and everything that we read here in Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47, would never have been present or taken place without verse 42. What happened in verses 43 through 47 would not have happened, would not have taken place, would not have been present without what happened in verse 42. So look back with me. Verse 42, it tells us from the very beginning, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the word of God. If they weren't devoted to the word of God, to the teaching of Jesus, to the foundation of the church, then you wouldn't read about this unity and movement of the spirit of God in the following verses. It wouldn't have been there. But just to be very clear, let's talk about this foundation. So the apostles, they start teaching. It's not like Peter and James huddled up and said, okay, hey, have you got a message for today? Did you come up with something? We got to think of something good to say. They've heard all the other stuff several times. No, what they were doing was they were taking the foundation that Jesus laid and just building upon it. So go back with me into the gospel of John, John 8, and let's just be reminded of the foundation Jesus laid. In John 8, verse 31 Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, he says to his followers, his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, there is a contingency word there that you and I as believers better become acquainted with and it's the word if. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Turn a few pages over to John 15. Um, This is one of many verses in John 15 that we can look at, but look with me at verse 7. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, is laying this foundation of abide in me, abide in my words, listen to what I say, and do what I say. Turn to the back of the Bible and look at 1 John. In 1 John 5, let's start in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Literally turn like one page into 2 John. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead, everyone who runs away and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Listen to that. Anybody who just walks another way and thinks, I don't need the teachings of Jesus, you have missed God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Jesus is saying so clearly throughout 
all of the Gospels, throughout all of the New Testament, my words are the foundation. If you abide in me, if you obey me. Jesus, God designed the church. Jesus is building the church to be a place where, and moreover, a people who teach, proclaim, explain, and obey the word of God. Jesus is building the church to be a a place where his word is pursued and loved and consumed and preached and proclaimed and most importantly, obeyed. Because it can be taught and proclaimed and all those other things, but if it's not obeyed, then we've kind of missed the point. Paul not only describes and affirms, but reinforces this in every single letter that he writes in the New Testament. Every one of them. Let me give you an example. In Paul's last letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, probably Paul's last letter that he wrote, period. Paul says something in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that you and I ought to not only take to heart, this is one of these scriptures that we really ought to meditate on it, memorize it, know it. It's easy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what Paul says to Timothy is, Timothy, take the things that I have taught you and pass them on, teach them to other men who will faithfully teach them to others also. We looked at this scripture during our disciple series because it's very important what Paul's saying to Timothy here. He's saying, Timothy, you and I in our lifetime, we should be able to see four generations of disciples. Four. And and we may hear that and think, man, that's kind of crazy. No, that's not crazy. That's God. And that's what we're not only praying for, but we are believing God is going to do here at the brook through our missional communities that many of us will have the mind-blowing opportunity to tangibly, visibly see four generations of disciples. Again, Paul is saying, Timothy, take what I have taught you. And what did he teach him? He taught him the scriptures. And pass those things on to other men who will faithfully teach others also. When you read that, you have to say, I think Paul's pretty serious about the word of God. He's very serious about it. It's described all throughout the New Testament. You know what's described? A people who devoted themselves to the Word of God. It's non-negotiable. Devoted to the Word of God, obedient to the Spirit of God. And then in Acts 2 there, we see the results of what happens when this takes place. The way that we describe what I'll call this these corporate character traits that you read about here in Acts 2. This is how we describe them here at the brook. Worship, grow, serve together. We've consolidated just a little bit. Simplified it a bit. But you know how strongly we believe this? We have plastered it on everything we own. If you see the brook... You see it right underneath it. Worship, grow, serve together. Why? Because you can't compromise these things away. If you've been to our discipleship intensive, which is now the substance of our discipleship class, which, by the way, beginning next week, 
our new connection classes start, our membership class and our discipleship class. If you've been to the intensive, if you go to the class, you're going to hear it described this way. Chad talks about this wheel. And really what we see within that is this framework of the character of Jesus Christ. Like if I'm a follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus, whose character do I need to be really familiar with? Jesus. And so we look at Jesus and we see these things very, very present. First of all, we see a life of prayer. Nobody prayed like Jesus did. All the time praying. Now remember, this is the son of God who's not only communing with God, he's still exalting the father and worshiping the father. There's also present there the word of God. Nobody quoted scripture like Jesus did. He's in the desert being tempted by Satan. He doesn't bother, you know, just bantering on with Satan. He just loads his gun with scripture and knocks down every argument. And he not only knows the word of God, he happens to also be the word of God. And so prayer, the word, those are characteristics of Jesus. But then you also see that Jesus spent his life serving others. He spent his life on mission. Every day of Jesus' life, every moment of Jesus' life was lived with this word that we love around here at the brook, intention, with great intentionality. And of course, the result of all of this, if you want to see what biblical community looks like, you read the Gospels and watch how Jesus lived with those young men. And so always present in the life of Jesus was prayer and the word and mission and community. Or let's put it another way, worship, grow, serve together. These are the foundational aspects of the character of the church. And if the foundation changes, so does everything else that you build on it. When we go to Guatemala this summer, and hey, another free commercial, today's the last day to register to go with us to Guatemala. And I want to encourage you, if you're still thinking about it, praying about it, just sign up and tell God, you just need to tell me I'm not supposed to go. See, we approach everything from the other angle. No, let's try this a different way, okay? I'm telling you, your life will be changed. But when we go to Guatemala... There are times that the, the Casas por Cristo reps that lead us, we get a little agitated with them because we're laying down, we're looking, we got a level, and we could swear this foundation is ready for the love of Pete. Oh, no, it's not level enough. It's so critical because if the foundation is not right, everything that we build on it, is totally in jeopardy. You change the foundation, you change everything that you build on it. The foundation is non-negotiable, my friends. It's non-negotiable. And so that brings us to the qualifications of the people who the church calls its members. To be a member of the church there are two things that Scripture makes very, very clear have to be present in your life and mine, and that is salvation and baptism. 
Jesus in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, he said to the disciples, go and make more disciples. Do what Paul told Timothy. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus makes it very, very clear. I've given you some other scriptures there in your sermon notes, things that Paul says in the book of Romans. Salvation and baptism. Surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, acknowledging and understanding that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is it. And following him by being baptized, understanding that that does not make me any more saved, but Jesus did it, and he said I'm to do it because it's a public confession of that decision that I've made. And it is a mind-blowing symbol of what has happened to me as I have been cleansed and purified by Christ's work on the cross. But now all that being said, here at the brook, we ask you to do something else. We ask you to go to these connection classes. Why do we ask this? Let me tell you why this is so vital. We want to make sure, we want to be as absolutely certain as possible from the very beginning that you understand what it means to be a member of the local church and what that looks like at the brook, what it means to be a disciple-making disciple, and how we go about that at the brook. And last but certainly not least, we want to make absolutely certain that you understand what it is that we believe. The non-negotiable elements of our faith, to use a big hairy word, we want you to understand our doctrine. We want you to know that we believe this thing called the Trinity, this word that you really can't find, the word anywhere in Scripture, but the truth is all throughout that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three separate entities, yet they are one. They are God. Mind blown? I know, totally. Can't fully wrap my head around it, but it is the truth. We want you to know that we believe the Scriptures have no error. That from the front to the back, they are the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. That from the very, very beginning, God set out to save us. We want you to understand, and again, another big word, we want you to understand the ordinances, the things that we corporately practice here at the brook. And those things are baptism and the Lord's Supper. One of which we're going to partake of here a little bit later. But we want you to understand what they mean and why we practice them. It's essential that you understand these things from the beginning. But also, you know, when you have non-negotiables, that means that you also most likely have something else present. You have negotiables. You have things that, you know what? Maybe the scriptures, they're not just black and white, cut and dry over them. And God has said, this is something that through the guidance of my spirit, I'm going to convict you over. I'm going to lead and guide you. 
And you know what? Your conviction may not be the same as their conviction. And when there's a negotiable, you know what we're going to have? We're not going to have disunity. We're not going to have quarreling. What we're going to have is charity and grace with one another. But really, to be very honest with you, you know when the negotiables don't seem to ever be an issue was when everybody understands the non-negotiables. They're not negotiable. That's why we call them that. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in him, I want you to know that we don't just hope, but, but we work very, very hard so that you might come into this place and feel welcomed, embraced, and loved. And not just because we want you to just feel that, we want you to feel that because you are. You are loved, more important than us, you are loved by the God of the universe. But I also want to be very, very honest with you this morning that If you are here today and you don't know Christ, I want you to feel welcome. I want you to feel embraced. I want you to feel loved. But you know what I want you to feel more than anything? I want you to feel lost. I really do. Because you see, if my kids were on the way home and, and they started to go the wrong way, I really hope something within them would say, we're not going the right way anymore. You know, guys, we have a bit of a problem with this. That's why guys are really grateful for GPS. We can fake it a whole lot better now. But you know what? If my kids are on the way home and they start to get lost, I want them to feel lost because if they don't, they're going to keep going the wrong direction. And I understand that we're living in a world that is so, so cranked up on, I don't want to offend anybody. Folks, the gospel is offensive. I mean, I don't know if you thought through what we were singing this morning when we sang that song, Only Your Blood. But if you have not humbly submitted to Christ, you can't sing that song. I mean, you're singing it going, I thought, this is ridiculous. First of all, what are you talking about with a bleeding bird and beast and hyssop branch and priest and all that? Well, that's basically what it tells us in Hebrew that, that Hebrews that there's nothing that can sacrifice our sin away. Only Christ could accomplish that. But I mean, somewhere there in the song, it basically says, I am a sinful, rebellious person who is destitute and bound for hell without the saving grace of God. If you're lost, I want you to feel lost because what I am praying is that the God of the universe, that he is drawing your heart to him. Because see, the, the greatest thing that happens when somebody is lost is when they get found. And we're praying that you get found. You, you, you actually are found. 
We're just praying that you realize it. The reason that the word of God is a non-negotiable foundation of the church is that the word of God, every bit of it, points us to Jesus. Look with me real quick in John, back in John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the Jews, and he says to them in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but they actually bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says to to all of the Pharisees, the scribes, the one who they know the scriptures inside and out. He's, He's saying to them, you don't understand. You keep thinking that you're finding salvation in the scriptures, but the scriptures, they're all about me. And so if you don't believe that I am who I say I am, you're missing the scriptures. And that is why the word of God, that is one of the reasons why we will not negotiate it away. We will not compromise it. It is the truth that everything is built on. The word, the church, life itself, all about Jesus. And we want to know him. We want you to know him. If you're here this morning and you do know him, back to the questions. Are you an active, productive member of of the local church, do you understand the importance that you play in the body of Christ? As the church, we are the body of Christ. You play a significant, important role in whatever church family it is that God has called you to. And so if it's here, have you taken that step? We are the bride of Christ. We are supposed to be living with this eager anticipation that he is coming back. Living on mission together for the sake of the gospel. The way we say that here, we are living intentionally to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. Friends, we want you wholeheartedly to join us on that mission. to to be a part. God desires that his people, that the local church, through the local church, you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to save the world. Don't miss being a part of that. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we ask that you would just powerfully work within us, among us. Lord, we are here today as your people. And Lord, we pray that you would knock down walls, whether they are in our own lives or they're in between our lives that would keep us or prohibit us from being who you've called us to be. 
Lord, this morning we ask that you would give us a renewed hunger and thirst, a desperation for the truth of your word, for the guidance of your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you we are a people of hope. In just a moment, as we as we sing together, this time that we call response is really not about the singing. It's about us responding. And if you're here this morning and and you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, but you'd like to talk to someone about what does that mean? What does that look like? Some of our pastors, elders, and leaders are gonna be in the back at the tables. They would love to talk with you, pray with you. But we are praying that you leave here this morning with your life eternally changed because of the hope that you can only find in Christ. For those of us who are the people of God, who surrender our lives to Christ, we have the opportunity this morning to partake of communion, the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you that whether you come alone or with a friend or with your family, that you take a few moments to very prayerfully remember why do we do this? Why do we take this little bitty piece of bread and this cup to remember and acknowledge that Jesus Christ that his body was broken and bruised and beaten on our behalf that his blood was spilled for us because only his blood was enough but we take this bread and this cup to remember and to acknowledge that Jesus, his life wasn't taken from him. He laid it down. And he said, I give my life over because I love you. Holy Spirit, in this moment, we pray that you would have the freedom to speak to our hearts. Jesus, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Your name is above all names. You are the only one worthy of our praise. 
be glorified in these moments. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.